بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين بارئ الخلائق اجمعين باعث الانبياء والمرسلين ثم الصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين خاتم النبيين شفيع المذنبين حبيبي الله العالمين بالقاسم المصطفى محمد اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد وعلى ال بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين ولعنت الله على اعدائهم اجمعين من يوم عداوتهم الى يوم الدين اما بعد فقد قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الحكيم وهو اصدق القائلين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا ايها الذين امنوا اصبروا وصابروا ورابطوا واتقوا الله لعلكم تفلحون امنا بالله صدق الله العلي العظيم صلوات اللهم السلام عليكم جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته I begin in the name of Allah the most kind the most merciful it's due to that kindness and mercy that we get these opportunities where we gather in remembrance and in glorification of him tbarak wa ta'ala then we send our condolences to our 12th and living imam al-hujjah jalallahu ta'ala farajahu sharif Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali and to each and every one of you as we gather this evening to commemorate the istishhad anniversary of our eighth imam imam ar-rida alayhi afdalu salatu was salam wa ali muhammad we pray to allah tabarak wa ta'ala that we each get an opportunity to go for the ziyarat of our imam in mashhad and that we receive his shafaat in the hereafter inshallah our eighth imam alayhi salam was born on the 11th of zilqa'da in the year 148 after hijra and 148 after hijra was the f- year of the shahadat of our sixth imam alayhi salam as well a few months prior and as we talked about in the past that this was the first imam who did not get an opportunity to spend with his grandfather the way the previous imams had um, and this was the beginning or the indication of the brutality of the abbasid dynasty where they did not allow the imams to live um, very long lives starting with um the seventh imam and eighth imam going i'm um, going on the imams uh, imamat formally began in the year 183 after hijra which made him how old i want to see if you were listening to the date of birth 35, 35 ahsan he was 35 years old um, at the time of his imamat and he was the imam of the ummah for a period of 20 years after that and therefore his shahadat happened in the year Two or three, very good. Yeah, Salu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. The twenty years of the imams, uh, imamat period, coincided with three Abbasid caliphs. It coincided with the khilaf, khilafat of Harun al-Rashid, um, followed by his two sons Amin and Maamun. And as we have talked about previously, um, that. this was really um, a tumultuous time in the abbasid dynasty um, amin and maamun both were the children 
um, of Harun al-Rashid but from different wives and therefore there was automatically a conflict that existed about who should be given the power um, and Harun tried yeah, he, uh, he tried to split the empire into two um, but why get half when you can get the whole um, and so Mamun decided was to kill his brother Amin and take over as the Khalifa um, and during all of these times um, they would take out their brutality on whoever they could to subjugate whomever they could so they could get more within that empire and you find that throughout this time the Shia suffered a tremendous amount um, under these two caliphs um, and it continued in the time of Ma'mun as well that in the year 201, 200 um, he forced the migration of the Imam from Medina towards Khurasan and in the year 201 the Imam salam reached Marv um, or Khurasan and in the year 203 Ma'mun poisoned the Imam only being there in Khurasan for two years and therefore his shahadat um, there are two dates for his shahadat one is said to be the 17th of Safar uh, in the year 203 after Hijrah and another date is this one the last day of Safar or the 29th of Safar in the year 203 after Hijrah um, what I find interesting is that depending on the community you come from and depending on the background you will commemorate these days um, differently and quite honestly there is no way to know for sure right whether it was 17th or whether it was 29th um, but you find that you know people are making a really big deal about it people are really angry nowadays it seems like you know um, and the internet has given people the power to be angry right the keyboard warriors that we have today um, and so people are saying that we should do it on this day it really doesn't matter at the end of the day to be quite honest right we are commemorating this wafat to the best of our knowledge that this was one of the days and so we're doing it to honor the Imam alayhi salam and we pray that Allah accepts it inshallah sallu ala muhammad wa ali muhammad muhammad wa ali muhammad the Imam alayhi salam being the proof of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no doubt had exemplary characteristics um, and when we analyze these characteristics there are many lessons that we can take from their life and this one particular anecdote I found very interesting um, when the Imam salam moved to Khurasan or moved to Marv to be the heir apparent um, of Ma'mun and we've talked about this in the past as well so I don't want to rehash this about why he accepted that position and what it means that he accepted that position but he accepted the position to be the heir apparent to Ma'mun um, and of course this did not sit well with the Abbasids especially the ruling class or the leaders of the Abbasid dynasty um, and we get this anecdote, uh, it's found in the book Akhlaq al-A'imma alayhimussalam that there was one Abbasid leader in particular who was um, jealous of the Imam you can say he didn't like the fact that somebody, an outsider was there as an heir apparent to Ma'mun when it should have been somebody from the family itself and so he had a habit of constantly degrading and trying to insult and humiliate the Imam salam. Um, and in one particular day he came in front of the Imam salam and began to criticize him he began to insult him and in particular he began to criticize and insult his Shia um, and began to use foul language in the process of doing so um, so again I want you to picture this right so this man comes up to our Imam right? um, and he begins to insult him use foul language and begin to um, um, degrade him so the Imam salam looked at him and he says, tell me, what is your aim from all of this? Right? What do you intend to gain by doing this? 
And he said, I want to insult you. I don't like you, and therefore I need to say what's on my chest. You know, we have these people nowadays, you know, that I need to get this off of my chest, and I need to tell you, and they think that they really need to speak at that time. Um, the Imam salam said, look, the special servants of God are not humiliated. Yeah? The special servants of God are not insulted by these things. So the man replies back, you know, and he says, I do not consider you to be a special servant of God. Right? So now they're actually going back and forth. Um, the Imam said, when did I ask you to consider me a special servant of God? Right? He says, the one whose servant I am considers me a special servant of God. Yeah? You follow? The one whose servant I am considers me to be a servant of his. So the man says, show me a miracle if you are truly a servant of God. Right? Show me a miracle if you are truly a servant of God. And look at this jawab from the imam. He says, is it anything less than a miracle that you are talking in such a bad way and I'm maintaining patience and self-control? Yeah? Look at the jawab, yeah? I mean, what miracle do you want? The fact that you are insulting me and I am still able to maintain my patience and self-control is in itself a miracle, our Imam salam says. He says, well, I can easily complain to you and have you punished. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. It's a very cute anecdote, right? Where we get this amazing... A series of lessons that we can take from it. You know, the, uh, the first thing that this, this particular story points out is that, you know, as long as you are sincerely obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as long as you are a sincere servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what others say about you shouldn't hurt you. Yeah? It shouldn't hurt you. Um, now, of course, that's not easy. Right? Of course that's not easy. When people insult us, it hurts us. People criticize us, it hurts us. Right? Um, but at this time, you know, when, we, when we are insulted, it's, it's a good opportunity to, to check what was my intention behind that act. Because right? if I did something, let's say for example, I recited Quran today, and then somebody pointed out that, hey, you made like five mistakes, for example. Um, and that hurt me personally, for example. Right? Then you have to investigate that what was my niya in reciting that particular surah. Was it for God or was it for people? For if it was for people, then the insults matter, don't they? But if it wasn't, right, then I would, say I would use that as a learning opportunity to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not allow it to hurt me, for example. Right? Um, but again, that's not easy to do, but it requires us to reinvestigate what it is that we do in our lives, what it is that... Um, uh, we are seeking to gain because if we are honestly seeking to gain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, one of the things that we have to accept and be ready for is criticism right we have to be ready and accept hate because haters are always going to hate right we have mashallah full-time haters today you know where it's their job to just criticize it's their job to find fault sometimes I wonder the intention of people sometimes you know where Honestly, they'll be able to pick out faults left, right, and center, right? But then you sit there and you're like, what were you there for, right? And today, hating has become a professional business, right? Um, you look at, for example, um, the, the news talk shows that we have today. 
Um, some of them are very entertaining, like you look at the, the daily news, for example, and they're entertaining, they give us a lot of information, but where do they get their, their material from? They're, they can't wait somebody to make a mistake so that they can begin to make fun of it. Now, alhamdulillah, they're picking on Trump, so it's okay, you know? So we laugh, right? Um, but the fact is, is that it is teaching us a culture that is okay to pick out people's faults. It's okay to point out people's mistakes. And sadly, like, we continue to, to do that, right? Like, we come to mosque, for example, and we're not empty from that at our mosques as well. But you'll find that the, the feedback that most people get, the feedback that we give back is, is primarily negative. We're not going to give back positive feedback, sadly. You know? When something is done good, we don't get emails saying something went good today. But God forbid something goes bad today. Yeah? God forbid uh, the Marcia went long. God forbid I go long. God forbid the food is gongad today, for example, you know, is less today. My God, we will get email after email, you know, what kind of organization is this? What kind of thing is this? Why? Because we hate professionally, you know. But if you're doing it for God, you know, and this is the thing that, that we have to understand, it's our hating culture um, that prevents people from doing God's work, right? Now, obviously, they need to work out their intentions in the first place, but if you take someone young, you take someone who has many other tasks in front of them, um, and then you tell them that, hey, take this position, but don't worry, you might get hated on a lot. They're not going to take this position, right? They're not. They're like, look, I know it's for God, but I don't feel like getting hated on so much. Um, and it prevents people, it prevents progress within our society because of that type of hate. So this is something I think that we need to look into as well to see whether we are those types of people. But on the flip side, the particular lesson that I think we need to take is that we need to make sure that if we're doing something for God and if we're, quote-unquote, a true servant of God, as the Imam says, the special servants of Allah are never humiliated, the Imam says, right? So we need to look within ourselves to see what our intention is. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Ali Muhammad, which brings us to a second lesson that we take from this particular story, and that is that as the Imam salam says, it is the one whose servant I am who considers me a special servant. So it's not me who decides if I'm a special servant of Allah, right? It's Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala who will inform me whether I am a special servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Because I think all of us think we're special servants of God. You know, we would like to think that. Um, but how do we know, right? How can we tell if God considers me a special servant of God? Well, I'll tell you what, it's not by how many gifts God gives us. That's not it, right? Um, because if that was the case, then, then Trump would be the closest servant of God. You know what I mean? Or one of the closest servants of God. It's not about that, right? It's about... Um, do I fulfill the standards that have been set by God or not? Right? I can't go around this life um, practicing religion the way I choose to practice religion, the way I want to practice religion, when it suits me, when I feel comfortable, when I want to, and then consider myself to be a special servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't. Right? If you do what God tells you to do, 
And if you avoid what God tells you to avoid, that in itself is an indication that you are a special servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So we have to measure ourselves. We always say this. We have to measure ourselves against the criteria that has been clearly laid out by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah describes the criteria of believers. Allah describes the criteria of muttaqeen. Very, the whole Quran is filled with criteria. Right? It's filled with, with barometers that we can check ourselves with. You look at the very beginning. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ So, okay, do I believe? الَّذِينَ يُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ Do I finish my salah? Do I observe my salah? وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Do I give and do infaq in the way? And you check, you check, you check, and you gauge whether or not you are considered by Allah to be a special servant of God. And that's the way we understand whether God's grace is truly upon us for the right reasons, or it's there upon us to drive us away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that is why God gives to people at times as well. So I think this is a really important point. That look, number one, I am striving to be a good servant of God. But I have to measure myself against what God says is a special servant of His. And if I meet those criterias, then I shouldn't be hurt by what people say about me. I should be channeling my energy towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the third lesson that we get from this particular story is, is what was the crux of it or what was the, the, the gem of it where we see the beauty of patience, right? The beauty of sabr. Where the Imam alayhi salam says to him that is there anything less than a miracle that you are talking to me in such an insulting way and I am still maintaining my patience upon you, right? Um, Again, this is the, the, the topic that we've decided to, to proceed with, right? And that is sabr. Um, but what the story tells us is that, you know, when we can, when we can be patient um, and, 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 and control our emotions um, by not lashing out on people or not being angry with people, man, that's a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that's not easy, right? That's not easy. Um, especially, right? Especially when you consider uh, who it is you have to be patient around, right? So like if I, if I have a boss and my boss is yelling at me, I can't be like, look at my sabr, ya Allah. I'm going to get fired if I say anything, right? So there are people with whom I can't say anything and I can't claim to have patience at that time because that's not patience. That's no choice, buddy, right? Um, but do I have that type of patience with my wife, for example? Do I have that type of patience with my children, for example? Do I have that type of patience with like, somebody who's cleaning the mosque, for example? Right? Um, these are people who I think, in my mind, I think I have authority over. But in reality, when it comes to God, we don't know. They might have a totally higher status than we do, right? Um, but it's with people who I supposedly have authority over, how do I treat those people? And that is where true patience is being displayed. And if one can have patience at those times, indeed, you know, we have to accept it, that that is a sign min ayatillahi tabaraka wa ta'ala. It is a sign um, of the miracles of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that a person is able to control themselves to that extent where they are patient in these trying and difficult times. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Oh.
in a tradition from uh, a man asks our eighth Imam salam on khiyar al-ibad, that who are the best of servants? And our Imam salam replies back and he says, Alladina ida ahsanu stabsharu. He says, those people who when they do something good, um, they are glad, they feel good about what they do. وَإِذَا asa وَاسْتَغْفُرُوا And when they make a mistake or when they do commit a, 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 a transgression, they seek forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We could have dissected this for this whole lecture, you know. Um, because, you know, one of the points that automatically stands out is that khiyarul ibad will make mistakes. Because we are bashar at the end of the day. We're not going to be masoom. But what makes a servant a truly good servant is that when they do make a mistake, they will seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They wouldn't do it intentionally. Like for example, we have, if I miss Salatul Fajr, right? Um, out of laziness, out of whatever it is, um, as soon as I wake up, I should feel guilty. That's a sign of being a good servant, right? But I can't fake it in the sense that I don't set an alarm, then I wake up pretending to feel bad. No, they, in the end, then I'm fooling myself, right? So the Imam alayhi salam, you know, he says that the best of servants are those who when they perform good deeds, they become glad. And when they perform a bad deed, they seek forgiveness of Allah. وَإِذَا أُعُطُوا shakaru, And when they are given a glad tiding by Allah, they are grateful to Allah. They actually recognize that this is a bounty from God. And when they are afflicted and grieved, sabaru. Yeah? When they are tried by God, when they are afflicted with problems, they are patient and they are able to endure what is um, happening to them. As we said, this is the subject that we're going to be discussing all the way to Eid Zahra alayhi salam, insha'Allah. Um, and, it's, and it's prolonged primarily because they're all munasibat. So we have to spend time talking about the munasiba in particular. Um, but yesterday we began this discussion of patience. Um, and we described the overarching, um, overarching, um, arcing, um, criteria or understanding about patience um, from a prophetic story. And we said that we need to take a couple of very important lessons. That number one, that being patient doesn't mean I can't have emotion. I can't be sad, for example. Um, I can be. Allah does not expect us to be robots, right? Um, but that emotion cannot be towards God, right? It cannot be anger channeled towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that anger cannot, that, that emotion cannot be so prolonged where now I feel like I'm in despair of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I'm allowed to cry. I'm allowed to feel sad, right? Um, no, God forbid I lose a father. I'm allowed to feel sad about that. It's not that God wants us to be like robots, right? Um, and we see that from the Ahlul Bayt throughout. In Karbala, Zainab cried. Um, when the Prophet passed away, his daughter cried. These are normal emotions that human beings go through. Um, the second point that we took from that story is that when we are being afflicted by something, we don't turn to people, but we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't come to you for sympathy, right? Um, if you can help me with something, that's something different, but you have to analyze those situations. But I don't come to you for you to say, oh, Jafar, it's okay. It's going to be... A... No, I should get that comfort from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? That's between me and God in a state of sajdak. It can heal me if I utilize those moments. And then the third thing is that when we fulfill these two conditions, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised relief in dunya and akhirah. Promised. Yeah? That if you are truly patient and you turn only to God, I will give you relief in this world and I will give you relief in akhirah. And again, this is something that are the overarching principles when it comes to um, sabr. So why is this subject so important? Right? Um, this subject is important for numerous reasons. Right? Um, one is that it is the predominant quality that exists between in that exists within all of the prophets of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and all of the Ahlul Bayt alayhimussalam. They were sabir through and through, right? And so you see that as a quality that needs to be emulated by us, and it needs to be worked on. Secondly, we are in the in the process of ending the period of Aza. And again, one of the main qualities we see in Karbala and after Karbala is sabr, right? It's patience, and it's something that we need to again adopt into our lives. The third thing is that we had just finished the subject of hastiness, al-ajala, and we touched upon it yesterday. Um, and sabr ties in with hastiness, um, in the sense that to combat hastiness, we need to practice uh, what's known as ta'anni or deliberation. I need to reflect, I need to think. And deliberation is a product of sabr. Yeah? Deliberation is a product of sabr. If I did not have sabr, I would not be able to deliberate in manners. I would not be able to think through. I would simply act. And so you see that the opposite of hastiness is not sabr as such. Right? Um, if you are not hasty, it doesn't automatically make you patient. Okay? Um, because you could not be hasty for numerous reasons. You could not be hasty because you are lazy, maybe. Right? And so you don't want to rush. You'd be like, oh, I'm just being patient. No, you're lazy. Right? It's not that you're not being hasty. Or it could be that the opportunity to be hasty is not presented to me. Right? So it's important to understand that just because you may not be hasty, you may not rush into things all the time, doesn't automatically make you patient, right? But rather, patient is something that is developed through practice and through um, different challenges that come your way. And once you develop patience, then you would be able to deliberate into matters and not be hasty. Does that make sense? Yeah? It's an important distinction that I want us to understand. Um, another thing that we have to, or another reason why sabr is discussed so often, um, because the rewards of patience are amazing, are amazing, right? Um, the Quran itself talks about sabr over 70 times and the importance of being patient. And in the stories of the Anbiya, we are getting this. But when you just look at the ajr aspect of it, right? Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, He says, Innama Allah says that indeed only the patient will be paid back their reward in full without measure. Yeah? Without measure. That means whatever you endured in the course of this life, Allah says, I will pay you back without any type of limitations. You just have to stick with that type of patience. In another verse, we get about those who will be entered into Jannah. What do they say? The angels say to them, Salamun alaykum bima sabartum, fa ni'ma uqbad dar. That salam to you 
with what you are patient with and what you endured in the course of your life and how excellent is the reward. This is the thing that we have to understand, right? That Jannah is, is not just given cheaply, right? It's not. I think we have to get over that notion and we've talked about that. That Jannah is earned. That Jannah has required that you go through a series of challenges and a series of tests before you get there. It's not simply just name. It's not simply just title, right? Because even in a very earthly, common sense way, um, yeah, okay, so this, this happens in earth where I may have a certain last name, so I may get an admission into a university, for example. It may happen, right? Um, it does happen. But I'm not necessarily going to get a degree from that institution without putting in some effort. Um, I'm not necessarily going to get a promotion in certain companies without, for common people. Let's take away the, the other people. Um, likewise, if, then I can't expect to get darajat without having to endure any things. Our eighth Imam Ar-Rida alayhi salam Salli ala wa ali Muhammad He says Man sa'ala Allahu al-jannah وَلَمْ يَصْبِرْ عَلَى الشَّدَائِدْ فَقَدْ اِسْتَحْزَأَ بِنَفْسِهِ He says, one who asks Allah Taala for Jannah and is not patient over the difficulties of this life has ridiculed himself. Yeah? Has ridiculed himself. That means you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself if you say, Allah, give me Jannah. And then something happens and I can't handle it. Something happens and I turn complaining to God. No, if you're asking for something, then take whatever is coming because that's what's going to help you to get into Jannah. You understand? So this is part of the reasons why sabr is so important. And lastly, you know, we live in a day and age where we need sabr badly. Badly, you know. Um, we live, you know, especially from the perspective of waiting for the imam what you understand is that sabr is not something that is like, it's, it's not a thought, right? Sabr is not a thought. Sabr is action, is action-based. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's a foundation from which actions are laid. You understand? So if you don't have the foundation of sabr, then whatever you lay on there would be like quicksand. It would sink. But if you have sabr, then it would be a strong foundation from which you can then act out whatever is needed for the coming of our Imam. And in this particular age, as we'll talk about in the last lecture, inshallah, that we need sabr badly. You know, I think we need sabr like on so many different um, phases, but in particular when it comes to our living Imam salam. So today, what I want to end the discussion with is just talk about what is sabr exactly, right? Um, and then carry on on Thursday, inshallah, with a different aspect of it. So what is the definition of sabr? A sabr is translated by our ulama of akhlaq as the following. Al-istiqamatu amam al-mashakil wal-hawadith al-mukhtalifa. It's a very short and sweet translation. Al-istiqama here is basically means steadfastness or perseverance. Right, the ability to be steadfast or to persevere, persevere amam al mashakil in front of or in the face of adversity and trials. Okay, this is patience, and I think this is something that we understand what it means. Right, that it is to 
deal with whatever comes and persevere, right? Persevere in a manner that you A, don't humiliate yourself, you don't lower yourself, um, and you rise up to the challenges that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places in front of you. Because the reality is that we're going to be tried by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not a surprise, right? It's not a surprise that we are going to be on a daily basis, be put through tests by God. Some days, you know, our tests uh, may be small. Um, and I think sometimes we may not even realize that we're being tested by God, you know. Um, how, I, how I say salam back to you, for example. That's a test from God, right? Did I say it with attitude? What was the thought happening? Are you significant in my life? Are you not significant in my life? Did I um, treat this neighbor of mine with good akhlaq? Did I... Oh, we're constantly being tested by God. Constantly, right? Um, the only times we really remember we're being tested is when there are quote-unquote big things. Like a family member being ill. Like an argument with a spouse. And that's when you think like, Oh my God, I'm going through something. But throughout our lives, if we're, have, if we're going to be conscious, right? And, and aware that, man, I'm being tested right now. I'm being tested right now. I'm being tested right now. Um, we would act differently. We would, honest to God, act differently, right? Um, I think this is, the, this is the thing that we have to... I don't know how it is that we have to remind ourselves all the time that we're being tested. Because God, you know, He, he talks about it in the Qur'an very openly. وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ He says, and I will constantly test you, right? بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوءِ وَنَقْسٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرِسْ سَابِرِينَ That glad tidings to be to those who are patient. But God says, I'm going to test you all the time. Um, we got to come up with ways to remind ourselves. I think that's, that's the biggest problem we have, right? That we forget. Like when you leave, when, it, when you're listening to what I'm saying right now, I can hear what I'm saying too. It sounds so obvious, right? Like I'm not saying anything that's like rocket science here, right? You're like, bro, I heard this. Probably heard it in Muharram, probably heard it in Arba'in. But then why do we forget? Why do I forget that I'm being tested, right? Um, you know the show, the show used to be on TV, I don't even know if it still is, but like it's called Big Brother, where they had these cameras in houses and there was a reality show, one of the first reality shows that, that came on, right? Um, and they were constantly being monitored and then they would air it. But you would see that everybody knows that they're being monitored, so they're all acting a particular way. No one is being legit, no one is being real, right? Um, I don't know how we can remind ourselves that God is always watching. You know what I mean? That God is always listening. That God is always testing us. If we can figure out a way to remind us of that, I think then it would be easier to be patient in times of difficulty. Right? Or in any time. It would be easier because then you'd know that God is watching. But that's the challenge, right? That's really the challenge. And that's another indication. I think I gave this example at JCC. That that's another indication that our iman is, is still low. You know, because I forget very easily. Because how would I, if I had something like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example, but if it was something important to me, I would not forget. Let's just put it that way. Yeah? What was that? Yeah, your paycheck, yeah, for example. You're not going to forget the day it's coming, 
right? You're not going to forget when it's coming, which, like, where, where, no, but like other things we're forgetting, and that's an indication that it's not important to us, right? Um, and that's sad, but, but you take that as an example of a child, and like I'm giving this example and it's a repeat, but like, you know, when you tell a child, for example, you know a child is doing something shady, right? And like they're quiet and they're, they're like, oh, what are they doing? You think to yourself, right? And so then they come to you and you're like, what were you doing? And they're like, nothing. And right over you're like, oh my God, they're doing something, right? Um, and then you're like, come on, tell me what you were doing. And you're like, nothing. It's like God's watching, right? I don't know if you've used that, God's watching. And they'll just look at you and be like, okay, <laughs> right? It won't phase them because they're young. What do you expect from a six-year-old, five-year-old? That doesn't shock them, right? Like God is watching, right? Um, but then they get older, like, like our age, and it still doesn't phase us that God is watching. SubhanAllah, think about that. It still doesn't phase us that God is watching, right? But we have to remind ourselves. We have to figure out a way to remind ourselves that God is watching, you know? Um, and one of the things that I think we can do, to be honest, is like, is like simple things, like set an alarm to remind us that God is watching, Yeah? Because that's the only way. I, I did this like, um, I, I gave this example three years ago, right? And I'm giving you first-hand account. That at 3.13, we set our alarms to remember the 12th Imam, right? That every 3.13, my phone would go off, my entire family's phone would go off, and all we would do is we would turn it off, but we would say salam to our Imam at that time. Now, I kid you not, I've been doing this with my family for three years, right? Now, nearly every time I look at my phone, I think of my Imam. Because I'm used to it. Now I'm like, I'm used to it. I'm, I look at it and I say salam. So now at random times, I will look at time and I will remember my imam. It's worked. The correlation worked. That's what we were after, right? Um, we should do stuff like that. We should do stuff like that, you know? If you can figure out like a way to send a daily email, hey, God is watching. I don't know if they can do that on Gmail, for example. Or you set alarms. Or you put like, as an example I gave, you put sticky notes on mirrors, for example, all through the house. You know, God is watching. Because we use those tricks to become self-motivated. Right? If you look at, for example, people who want to be successful and they're going into like a high-power business, they'll put notes up that, hey, you can do it. You are strong. You are smart. You are this. Why? To encourage them. Because positive reinforcement is actually very positive. It actually works. Now imagine if we did that with God. God is watching. Be careful. Take these measures. And I think that if we would do these things, we would be able to react better in situations when we know that we are being tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. So this is the definition, right? And this is where we will continue from tomorrow, inshallah. It's the ability to persevere um, through all types of trials and tests from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we look at the lives of our imams, we see this practically being done. The imam salam was tried and humiliated by Ma'amun. He remained steadfast. Right? The Imam salam was, people attempted to ridicule, ridicule him. The Imam salam remained steadfast. The Imam saw his father being poisoned. The Imam remained steadfast. Whether it was big things or small things, 
The Imam السلام, constantly persevered. And this is where we take these tremendous lessons from the life of our Ahlul Bayt. And it is this where the Shia um, truly connected themselves uh, with the Ahlul Bayt. That is why the Abbasids and the Umayyads, no matter what they did, they couldn't stop the Shia from falling in love with the Ahlul Bayt. Well, they couldn't stop all people from falling in love with the Ahlul Bayt right? Um, and this is where you saw that their animosity and that their anger towards them continue to rise. You know, we are told that once a man comes up to our 8th Imam salam in Khurasan and he says to him, Yabna Rasulillah, that I saw your grandfather Rasulullah in my dream. And he said to me that there will be a fam- that there will be a man from my family who will die and be buried in Khurasan. The Imam alayhi salam looked at that man and he said, "Anal madfunu bi ardikum." He says, "It is I who will be buried in this land. Wa ana bidatu nabiyikum." And indeed, I am the one who is a part of the family of Rasulullah. The man asked him, "Yabna Rasulillah, who is it that will kill you?" The Imam says, "Sharru khalkillahi fi zamani yaktuluni bissum." He says, "The worst of the creation of Allah will murder me with poison and then will bury me in this land." We are told on a night like this, my brothers and sisters, the Mal'oon Ma'moon invited the Imam to his house and he served the Imam poisoned grapes. The Imam took three grapes and stood up and he walked back to his house and he got home. He said to his servant, do not allow anyone to come see me for indeed now is my final days towards Allah. Summa bada'a an yakum wa yakud the poison began to affect the body of our Imam. The Imam could not sit because of the pain. The Imam could not stand because of the pain. The pain continued. Rahimallahu mannada wa imama. Rahimallahu mannada wa madluma. We say, oh, our Mazlum Imam. You are by yourself in the lands of Khurasan. It is said the servant of the Imam alayhi salam narrates, all the doors to the house were locked when all of a sudden a young boy appeared in the house. The servant says, I asked him, who are you? فَقَالَ عَنَا Muhammad bin Ali. I am the son of Imam al-Ridha. He comes in front of his father when the Imam alayhi salam sees him. I want you to close your eyes and picture this. He hasn't seen his son for so long. He sees his son and he embraces him and he kisses him and spends the last few moments of his life with his son. We say salam to you ya Imam Rida. Salam to you that in this state our heart breaks for you. But look at your scene where now your son has come to see you. But look at your grandfather Imam al-Hussain. 
Imam Al Hussein, he had to go after his son on the plains of Karbala. We are told, my brothers and sisters, that when Ali Al Akbar came to bid farewell to his father, as he left, he saw started riding his horse. He heard footsteps coming from behind. He turns around and he sees his father. He says to him, Ya Abata, you have given me permission. Why are you following me? The Imam says, Oh my son, I wish you knew how difficult this is for a father. I wish you knew how difficult this is for a father. But ah, Imam Ridha alayhi took his last breath and was buried in the lands of Khurasan. زہر دے دیا ہے امام رضا کو ہے ہر سو قیامت ترپتے ہیں مولا زہر دے دیا ہے امام رضا کو ہے ہر سو قیامت ترپتے ہیں مولا ہے غربت کا عالم کرے کیوں نہ ماتم ترپتے ہیں مولا وطن چھوڑ کر جب تنکلے سفر کو بری آنکھ سے 